think the fund was essentially shut down and I never saw a dime, but worse yet, I never really got much insight into what the heck happened <laughs> and to my money. And so it felt really out of control and stupid. And you know, I didn't know any better because it was my first sort of experience like that. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. This episode is sponsored by ASTOTS Academy's online course, How to Start Building Your Wealth, Investing in the Stock Market. I wrote this course for those who want to go from feeling frustrated, intimidated, and overwhelmed by the stock market to becoming confident and in control of their financial future. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com deals to claim your discount now. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, and I'm here with featured guest, Dave Kirpin. Dave, are you ready to rock? I'm ready. <laughs> I am really excited to get you on and, and to learn more about what you've learned in your life. And I want to introduce you to the audience. So let me do that right now. Dave is a serial entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, and global keynote speaker. Dave is the co-founder and co-CEO of Apprentice, a platform that connects entrepreneurs with the brightest college students, as well as the co-founder and CEO of Remembering Live, a virtual memorial service company. Dave is also the founder and chairman of Likeable Local, a social media software company serving thousands of small businesses, and the co-founder and chairman of Likeable Media, an award-winning social media and content marketing agency for big brands. Dave's newest book is The Art of People, 11 Simple People Skills That Will Get You Everything You Want. Dave, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Well, I guess most important, I'm a dad and of three wonderful children and live in New York and a husband to my the love of my life and my business partner, Carrie. And, you know, I'm an investor, of course, as well, and been fortunate enough to be around lots of great entrepreneurs. I love entrepreneurship and supporting entrepreneurs. I love mentoring younger entrepreneurs. And I'm actually the president of Entrepreneurs Organization in New York. It's a global network of CEO founders across the world, and New York's one of the larger chapters. So thanks for having me, yep. and I'm excited to, uh, to chat. Yeah, I have a couple of quick ones, and that is sometimes I look at entrepreneurs. I mean, I'm a finance guy, so I know the probability of an entrepreneur really getting success is very low. When I mean like real success, building a big company and all that. But yet every entrepreneur thinks they're going to make it. And that's the magic and that's the tragedy or the madness, let's say, of the entrepreneur. What is it you like? about working with young people and, and people who are entrepreneurs, when on some level you could say, these guys are crazy, but yet some of them I, I break, like, break through. Yeah, I like crazy. I think crazy can be good. And I also think, you know, you talked about lowering your risk. I think a lot of what great entrepreneurs do is to mitigate risk and think about what they want. And there's different kinds of entrepreneurs, right? So Mark Zuckerberg's and Elon Musk's are one in a, a million, one in 10 million, but there's, you know, many, many millions of, of great entrepreneurs that build nice, fairly small businesses. And then there's a huge, huge gap in between, right? Where one day when we sell 
one of our businesses, you know, will will be set for life. And you can't have that sort of reward from working as a regular person that's not an entrepreneur. So there's risk and reward and, and there's a it's a huge roller coaster, but in but in many ways it's very similar to investing. You know, where the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Mm. So yeah, you know I, but I love it. You said about you said something kind of odd and a lot of people say that entrepreneurs are risk takers, but you started off by saying they mitigate risk. And I think about 25, you know, I came to Thailand 30 years ago. My best friend, Dale, came to Thailand 25 years ago and we started a coffee factory. And we've now run that coffee factory for 25 years. He's really run it, but we've co-invested in it. And many times, particularly when we came, we knew we weren't going to get any, any money from banks because, you know, we were two foreigners in this country and all that. And we knew that we didn't have limitless funds. And so our risk management was critical. One little mistake, as I often tell young students, like, just don't make the wrong mistake, but you just won't know which one is the wrong until after you've made it. But I think it's, it's underrated how important risk management is for the entrepreneur in such scarce resources. Yeah, yeah, it's totally true. And it's one of the things I've learned along the way. I, I thought entrepreneurs were big risk takers. And, and to a certain extent, we are. But to another extent, we're big risk evaluators and risk mitigators as well. I think in order to be successful, you have to be, right? So there's this sort of brazen, foolish entrepreneur, which will um, perhaps be good foreshadowing for my investment story. Yep. And then there's uh, sort of more seasoned, more disciplined uh, entrepreneurs. And I, I like to put myself in that category there. By the way, before I forget, I didn't mention this in the pre-show, but I was reminded of it when you when you mentioned where you are and also when I overheard my own bio being read, you know, one of my favorite keynote speaking moments was was when I spoke in Bangkok and just like the song because I really don't like to uh I like to be as with my family as much as possible and not leave them for long. So, just like the song I did one night in Bangkok, I flew 23 hours to Bangkok and did a speaking gig and then flew right back home to New York a few years ago, which was quite a crazy but fun experience. So you truly lived one night in Bangkok, just not like Indeed. that song implies. <laughs> <laughs> and one Indeed. last thing, The Art of People, which I have on my Audible, and you know, I recommend everybody get it, download it, and listen to it, and, or read it however you prefer. But maybe you can just give one of these. I know you talked about 11 simple people skills, but maybe you could just give my audience one little tip of something that they could, they could apply in their life today, this week, this month, this year. Sure. Thanks for the shout out. I think um, if I had to choose just one thing, it would be uh, listening. Listening is probably the most underrated skill and the skill that the most people think they're good at when maybe they're not so good at it. And if we increase our capacity to listen, and most people listen to reply, not uh, listen to understand. And if we can focus on listening to understand and not to reply and just really making sure we're hearing the other person better and repeating back to them, mirroring and validating what they're saying instead of trying to respond or solve their problems, it actually sets us up to be in a much, much better place in terms of getting what we want and building a an authentic, genuine, valuable relationship with people. That's a beautiful tip for the audience. Listen to understand. Don't necessarily listen to just reply. So great tip. All right. 
Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So this is some years ago. It was one of my earlier investments, I guess. I'll give a close runner-up to an investment a couple of years prior when I was in college. I did some day trading. And I don't necessarily recommend day trading, but there was one particular stock that somehow I got caught up in a penny stock. And that was a pretty bad investment. But the reason I didn't make that my number one, even though it literally went to zero, is that I don't, I don't think I put that much into it. So it wasn't as wasn't as painful. Some years later, I I got very caught up. I was a young, young, younger slash young entrepreneur, and I got caught up an opportunity to invest with a venture capital firm. And I think I was really drawn in by the allure of feeling like a venture capitalist and the what seemed really exciting to be investing in great deals and alongside some really terrific people. And I didn't really vet it. I didn't really understand it. (laughs) In hindsight, that feels particularly embarrassing, but true. And so we put a pretty, what was this pretty substantial for us amount of money in? I think it was $30,000 at the time. That was you know, again, we were pretty young. That was real money. It was it was yeah. definitely real money. Uh, it's still real money, to be clear, but it was really real money back then. And then we just, you know, moved on. And and there was a real communication gap between the you know folks running the firm and and us. And I would assume they're there are other investors and, and to the point where I actually felt really uncomfortable after a while. And I, I think I reached out to one of the other investors and said, what's the deal? Like why? And, and they had had a similar experience and I think the fund was essentially shut down and I never saw a dime, but worse yet, I never really got much insight into what the heck happened <laughs> and to my money. And so it felt really out of control and stupid. And, you know, I didn't know any better because it was my first sort of experience like that. But years later, it's funny, I, I've I'm a limited partner in another venture capital firm where I've done like remarkably well. They email me every quarter and, you know, our return has been unbelievable. And it's just been a, it's hard to imagine a more different experience, truly a 180 degree experience from the experience that I shared. So it was definitely my worst investment, but you know, you live and you learn, right? Exactly. Well, can you remember like the day when you had to look at your your wife or yourself and say, I think it's all gone. It's never coming back. Yeah, yeah, I I remember it very well because I was in a position where it was my idea to do this investment. And so, you know, I, I had convinced my wife and she had really been the word nag is such a negative word and she's the best, truly. She's and she's not a nag at all, but she had been really, you know, kind of like nagging me about what was going on and chiming. In business in. we call it following up. Yeah, following up. I mean, and honestly, in hindsight, rightfully so, of course. But because of the cognitive, look, we all have this cognitive dissonance, right? And so when we make a decision, a bad decision, it takes a while to realize that was a bad decision. We keep trying to convince ourselves it was a good decision because of cognitive dissonance until that point where we finally realize, right? So, so during that whole time where she's nagging me, I'm like, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. I, I'm sure it's this, it's that, and that. And on that day where I finally realized that we weren't 
going to get any money. I felt deeply, deeply ashamed, embarrassed, but really, I would say even worse, I felt ashamed. I felt really guilty for having a misled, obviously unintentionally, my wife into essentially throwing $30,000 down the toilet. I mean, my goodness, you know, the good news is we've been able to build a wonderful life for ourselves and mm-hmm. financially and otherwise. But, but boy, I mean, certainly on the basis of this investment alone, we'd be uh, absolutely a complete disaster in that area. And you know, the, the biggest, the single biggest cause for divorce is financial issues. So, I mean, Honestly, it could have gone, I feel like it could have gone really horribly wrong just on the basis of this really bad investment decision. Right. Right. That was a really difficult moment for me because I really had to come to terms with reality and sort of stop trying to justify the decision to myself and stop to her and stop trying to imagine a scenario where it was going to work because it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to work. So tell me, how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this? Yeah, I think the biggest lesson is is to kind of do the work, do the homework. And I learned to not get as caught up into the sort of glitz and glamour and the shiny new object and to sort of feel uh, more comfortable, you know, to sort of do the homework until I feel more comfortable. And I think the other, the other lesson is to, we talk about risk and reward, is to really to invest different amounts based on the capability, the ability to, you know, sort of stomach the loss, right? So, so for us back then, $30,000, you know, it was enough of a chunk of money that it should not have gone to what in hindsight was a completely speculative, could go to nothing type investment. It should have gone to a blue chip stock or something, you know, and so so you know that's going to perform. It's not going to perform 100x, but it's going to give virtually guaranteed return over time. And so, yeah, that I wish, of course, going back, I could change that. But it was that was a very important lesson to learn. Yep. So let me summarize a couple of things I take away. The first thing is that there are scams and there are investments. And there are plenty of scams out there. Not saying this was a scam, but I'm just saying to the audience. There are plenty of scams that come across extremely legitimate. In fact, that's what they're really good at. So for the listeners out there, beware that scams come in a, a form that is, you know, looks really great. That's the first thing. The second thing is let's talk about legitimate investments like this. What we're really talking about is the concept of liquidity because if you had put your money into a listed company in the stock market, as an example, and there was no communication and things weren't going well, you do have the option of exiting. But when you go into a private equity, a venture capital, or those types of things, it's much harder. Even you know, investing in a startup when someone's just saying, hey, I'm going to start a restaurant, you do not have liquidity. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, liquidity, you get paid for liquidity. You can put your money into places that it takes them a while and eventually they come out. There's right. a premium for liquidity. But that then brings me to kind of the, the final lesson from my perspective is the idea of sizing your position. Now, if you had $300,000 and 30000 went into this and you said, this is our bet, we're swinging for the fences with this one, then, you know, it's, it may not be that painful. But if you're young and you've got only a small amount or whatever that is, and you don't size your position, then you just run the risk of being wiped out. So for those listening, if you find an opportunity that you really are excited about, put a small amount of money in. Now, of course, 
either scams or you know plenty of people that are pitching legitimate ideas and saying no we'd only take a minimum of thirty thousand then it may be your time to walk away so those are some of my takeaways anything you'd add to that yeah i think those are great takeaways the only thing i would add to that again is go and knowing what your communication needs are so to your point if i invest when when i invested in zoom stock probably the opposite of my worst investment I went in knowing I was going to have access to the publicly available data, but I wasn't going to get any personal communication from the company. And I was okay with that. But my expectation going into this was that I was going to get much more regular communication and access to communication. And so I think really making sure that with whoever is the holder of the investment, right, that I have a mutually agreed upon cadence of communication and availability and access, as long as that's sort of known by both parties and agreed to by both parties going forward, then it can work. Yeah. One last thing on my side, after interviewing 300 people and also getting 500 written stories of laws, being the analyst that I am, I tried to analyze them and I grouped them into six common mistakes. Number one, failed to do their research. That's the most common mistake. Number two, failed to properly assess and manage risk. That's the second most common. Number three, driven by emotion or flawed thinking. That was the third most common. Number four is misplaced trust. And the reason why I'm telling this list is because of number five, and that is failed to monitor their investment. Now here, it's a little different where you failed to get communication from them. But the idea too is that this does fall to some extent in this category that When you put your money into anything, you have a right to demand some form of consistent communication. And I think this podcast, this story of yours and the lesson, one lesson is you have a right to ask for that and demand that. And so that is number five. And of course, number six is invested in a startup company where most people lose all their money. (laughs) So those are the six common ones. And I'd say that one lines up for you. Now, let me ask you. Based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners think of the people who are faced with an opportunity in front of them somewhat similar to what you were faced with? What would you recommend our listeners' action should they take to avoid suffering the same fate? I'd say probably that first sort of bucket of failures and do, do the research, you know, do the homework. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know how much that really makes a difference or would make a difference on this, but... I think I would have felt much more justified in the mistake had I at least sort of done a little bit more research. I did everything I could. (laughs) All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Yeah. So my number one goal is to focus on my health and to be, I'm at such a wonderful, blessed place with respect to my career and businesses and, and whatnot. And so I can be so fortunate to say, you know, I, let me just really focus on my health, getting a fit, eating well, exercising, getting a little bit more sleep, not too much more, but a little bit more, and really focusing on, on that area. Well, we look forward to following up 12 months from now and seeing and hearing from your tremendous success. And since we're at the beginning of the year, for all of us, we're setting our goals. So that's exciting. All right, listeners, there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember to go to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals to claim your discount on my How to Start Building Your Wealth Investing in the Stock Market course. As we conclude, Dave, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? No. 
<laughs> You've said Just, it all. Uh, I've said it all, and I'm excited to be to be a graduate of <laughs> the program. Academy. Yeah. Oh man, he's got his he's got his graduate cap on. We'll get him his gown. Oh. I bet you that's a first on your show. That is definitely a first, and I think I better just memorialize that. So don't move. Let me just grab a shot of that. He's got his cap and gown on. Fantastic. For the listeners out there, he's got a graduation cap on. So I appreciate that. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host saying I'll see you on the upside.